Hey everyone, on today's episode of Strictly Hoop Talk, I got my guest Philip Rossman Rake of the Locked On Magic and Orlando Magic Daily. Um, great content from him as him and I go back and forth discussing the two Eastern Conference playoff matchups, Toronto and Boston and Miami-Milwaukee, and this was recorded shortly after Game 3, where Milwaukee ended up falling down 0-3 to Miami in the series. So um, those of you that listened to my last podcast with Spike Lou know that me and Spike were definitely counting out Miami. So we had to have a major discussion on, of course, Milwaukee and, the, and just the, the, the shock of it all. And then also we talked to Steve Nash higher uh, for the Brooklyn Nets being the next head coach that came out of nowhere. And that was a really interesting surprise. So we get into all that stuff later in the week. I'm going to do a podcast uh, with probably with Tim and we're going to look at the two L.A. series and, and just the two the two series out west, kind of see where the Lakers and the Clippers stand in each of their series. Uh, that's going to be very, very interesting, but stay tuned for that. That'll be sometime within the next couple of days to uh, early early next week, potentially. And as far as that goes, uh, hip-hop, I'm, I'm going to do a Big Sean album review. Uh, that was the most anticipated album of the year for me so far that has that has been released, so I'm definitely going to do a album review for that because it's been a while since I've done an album review. So be on the lookout for that sometime within the next week or so. Um, and then also uh, also just follow me on all the social medias. Do the housekeeping stuff. Uh, follow me on, on Instagram and Twitter at RealChrisPlatty, C-H-R-I-S-P-L-A-T-T-E. If you don't know how to spell real, don't follow. And lastly, um, reach out to me if you want an individual playlist. I'm making playlists. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess around and do some this weekend when I have some downtime. So I'd love to make some people some playlists. So if you have me on Instagram or Twitter, shoot me a DM, shoot me a message, and uh, and I'll definitely I'll definitely make you a playlist and uh, put you onto some new music because I really enjoy doing that for people. So let me know. And uh, without further ado, man, let's let's get to some hoop talks. I'm excited. I'm I'm glad. Like I said, August was a month that uh, I didn't do nearly as much content as I like. So, uh, so I'm looking forward to September because it's going to be a month where I'm going to be able to do a lot of content, starting with this one, breaking down the Eastern Conference playoff matchups and the Steve Nash hire with my guy, Philip Rossman Rake, who was under the weather, um, but he, but he, he showed up and he was, he was a troop and he stuck it out. So if you hear his voice sounding a little bit, uh, a little bit crackly, it's because he's, he's a little under the weather right now. So I appreciate him even more for putting up with me and having the conversation with me, giving me the content while he's not feeling the best. Without further ado, man, let's get to the basketball and talk some hoops. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Strictly Hoop Talk. As always, I'm your host, Chris Platty. Hope everyone is doing well out there. Returning to the podcast is a good friend of mine, Philip Rossman Rake of the Locked On Magic. Philip, how you doing? I am doing all right. Ready, ready for Labor Day weekend? If 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 we can be excited for such things anymore. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's that's the thing. Is like I'm I'm thinking, you know, the the holiday weekend is coming up. And this is normally a good time that uh, that I get together with some friends and and I don't do anything crazy, but just like family and really close friends is kind of the tradition. 
And this year we're all just kind of like, okay, well, you know, what do, what do, what do we do? You know, because of everything that's going on in the world right now and all of that. So it's, it's really, it's just been, it's just been such a weird summer, man. It's been, it's been weird. It's been great. Saved a lot of money, not going to bars and stuff, but, (laughs) but uh, it's been a weird summer, man. How's it been for you? Uh, it's been it's been all right. Just just busy working. You know, basketball's been able to tide me over for for a little while. Um, just you know, kind of keeping keeping the head to the grindstone, just to, just to push through all this. So you know, just just staying busy. That's all we can do. Yeah, that's really all we can do. And it, and and it's so weird to have basketball this at this time in the year. My brain is still adjusting to that. But I mean, look, man, here we are. The NBA playoffs. Uh, things are getting intense. But before we go into the bubble and talk about the two Eastern Conference series. Let's talk about the news that really just kind of shattered basketball the last couple of days, and that is uh, Steve Nash being hired to be the Brooklyn Nets' next head coach. Now, Steve Nash was obviously had, was involved with Team Canada and had extensive work uh, with the as like a consultant with the Warriors and uh, – both before and during KD's time there, where he got to actually form a good relationship with KD. Um, So he has good working relationships with the two stars. So that's kind of what this hire is uh, to me. And also, obviously, is high basketball IQ, but there's a lack of coaching experience. And we've always seen that some necessarily high IQ, great uh, basketball players don't transition to great coaches. I mean, I'm a fan of this move because simply like, like I said, when it comes to when it comes to Brooklyn Nets situation and, and you have two superstars, what you want is a coach that has a good relationship with those superstars and can mend and can, you know, kind of keep things together. And Nash is a very level headed guy. So I expect that to be um, something that he that he can do. And then also also just the high basketball IQ. But I mean, how are you feeling about this? Because at the end of the day, he is a coach that hasn't coached basketball. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a little bit mixed on this um, because, you know, obviously, you know, Steve Nash, his, his knowledge of the game and how he sees the game is pretty, pretty high. It's, you know, he's, he's obviously a, a, great, a great kind of mind for basketball. And, and it's not like he hasn't been in a front office. He doesn't understand how that side of the, of the coin works. But to, to jump into a situation like this where the pressure is going to be on from day one. Um, you know, you've got Kevin Durant, you got Kyrie Irving, you spent all that money. You've already wasted one of those years, one of those four years that you have with those two guys guaranteed. Um, the pressure is going to be on to make Brooklyn a contending team. And it's not like they were left nothing. I mean, Brooklyn was the seventh seed in the East this year, you know, had a really strong run through the seeding round and, and, and did some really nice things. Uh, and, and, you know, there's going to be a learning curve that he's going to have to catch up to very, very quickly in a high stakes situation and a very high pressure situation. Um, that's not to say that he can't rise to the occasion. You know, you know, Steve Kerr certainly did. Um, there are plenty of examples of first-year coaches with no coaching experience who who uh, put themselves in a position to win and, and do a very good job right out of the gate. So it's not that this is going to be impossible. It's not that this is something that that he won't be able to figure out. But at the same time, you know, it, it's it's going to be a, a very big learning process um, the one thing that I will say is I think that it's good that it, you know, that that Brooklyn is a front office that you can trust. Um, going into a situation where there's a successful front office, a group that seems to have an understanding of how to build the foundation, how to build a culture, and then bringing in the right assistance is going to be key to that that Nash has a support to to kind of give his voice confidence and kind of make sure that 
you know, he's doing things the right way. Cause like you said, the relationship part is probably the most important part of a coach in his situation. And he, he already has that relationship established with Durant, um, which I think is definitely a big plus. So, you know, it, it's, it's certainly a mixed bag. Um, and, and I think that, I think that Nash is certainly in a position to succeed. It's just a question of whether the Nets will truly put him in a, in a, in a situation that will help him succeed. Yeah, I, I agree. And Excuse me. First off, I want to um, just again, I didn't state we talked about this before the pod, but I want to give you credit during the pod so that everybody knows that, you know, you're you're you're, uh, you're not feeling the greatest and up to par right now. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast first and foremost. Um, but this is sorry about my voice cracking. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll tr- it's probably a sign I need to keep my answers short and sweet. <laughs> that no, that's OK. That's OK, man. You go as you go as long as your voice can take you. Uh, Nash. So with me, he does kind of fall in that Steve Kerr tree of uh, I see him just being that guy that's just very level headed, very good at reading the locker room and figuring out the the chemistry part of it. And like you said, the key will be his assistance around him to make sure he has um, he has not only great assistance around him, but also uh, also a good front office in general to to empower him rather than make him feel like, OK, you have to produce at the very beginning, because like you said, we're already in year two of four with this, uh, with this Brooklyn experiment. And again, New York, it's not the New York Knicks, but it's still in New York. So this is still going to be a, a city that has, that gets a lot of attention and a lot of heavy, uh, highly criticized media pointed their way because they're going to be the team that everybody looks at. Cause obviously New York Knicks don't leave much to look at these days. So it's it's going to be a lot of pressure, and you spoke to it so well. Is that support system around him has to be great? But I do have confidence in him. Uh, in him finding his way, it it might take you know it might take part of the season. It might take a whole year. It might even take two years. But I could see him being a guy that, if he has the right environment and he does maintain those relationships with those stars. It, uh, I I just I see Nash as a very likable guy like Steve Kerr, and I think that that goes a very long way in today's coaching. When you have these players that um, that are so that that have never had more freedom to move and to choose and to control their own destiny in, in today's NBA, and I think having a having a coach that can really understand and communicate with those players and keep the the temperament of the team at a, at a at a even level. I think that's a very very valuable skill especially in today's NBA. Yeah, and 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 especially with with those kind of guys. I mean, you know, yes, coaching matters. Yes, putting guys in the right spot matters. But when you have a guy like Kevin Durant and a guy like Kyrie Irving, you know, they you don't your margin for error is already much smaller. You can make some right. mistakes and they're going to bail you out a little bit. So, you know, to a lot of what coaching is at that level is kind of ma- is like human management. It's like hu- it's like a human resources job as much as anything else. Um, it's it's just managing everyone through the season. And obviously, Steve Nash was like a was like a second coach on the floor for those Suns teams. He is extremely well respected by all of his teammates. He's someone that is selfless that tries to get make other people better. And you just hope that that philosophy rubs off on people because because that's who Steve Nash is. I mean, you go back to like what Shaq used to say about Stan Van Gundy. And he meant it pejoratively, but I do think there's something to it. The, the, the group follows the general. You know, if the, mm-hmm. you know le- the only thing that trickles down is leadership. If the leader is calm and composed and, and, and clear-headed and you know, very 
succinct in what he wants to happen, the rest of the team's going to follow. If you know, if he's all over the place, if he's like very hard energy, you know, that can work for a little while, but that does wear out eventually. So if Nash brings what he was as a player to the bench, there's a very good chance that he's going to be able to lead these guys pretty successfully. I agree. And it's going to be very, very interesting to figure that out. Now let's take ourselves into the bubble and talk about the playoffs. So we got two series, Heat, Bucks, Toronto, Boston. Um, let's start with the big one that everyone's talking about, Heat, Bucks. Obviously, as we're recording this Saturday Saturday night, now or now technically Saturday night, but was Friday night, the Heat got up 3-0 on the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, is this series over? And my question to you is if Miami wins this series, because I have to I have to make apology on the last podcast I did with my friend Spike Lou. Both him and I brushed off Miami, and that was clearly the wrong decision as now Miami is, like I said, up 3-0. But to me, it just it, – the real question is, does this feel like to you a bubble fluke or something real? Like where where are your thoughts on, on this series as now Milwaukee is staring down an 0-3 hole? I, I'm very – I don't think it's a complete bubble fluke. Um, I, I will say that. I think Miami was always going to be a very difficult matchup for the Bucs because the one thing the Bucs give up defensively is three-point shots. And if you get hot from three, which Miami is very good at doing, mm-hmm. they, they're, 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 the Bucs are very beatable. I mean, you know, I, I, I follow the Magic. You know, I, I host Locked on Magic. I write for Daily.com. The Magic gave the Bucs a lot to think about and a lot to sweat over in a five-game series. The Magic just didn't have the bodies or the consistency from outside to make Milwaukee pay for their defense. But you look at Nikola Vucevic, who averaged you know nearly 30 points per game, a lot of that was because he was taking the exact shot the Bucs want to give up. And there are have always been questions with Mike Budenholzer, even dating back to when he was with Atlanta, that he is simply a regular season coach, that he doesn't make the adjustments to his style or to the way the team plays to be successful in the playoffs. That's not to say he's a bad coach, obviously. I mean, he got them to this point. He, they've been back-to-back number one overall seat, number one overall seats in the league. That, that, that's still a success in a way. But when it comes to the playoffs, it is about matchups. It is about how right. you take advantage of another team's weakness. And the Bucs don't have a secondary playmaker outside of Giannis. Um, Giannis can still be a little bit rudimentary. He just kind of uses a lot of brute force to get to the rim. And if you have smart defenders who have size and strength, they can slow him down. I mean, the Magic, again, I'll use the Magic as an example, with the game plan that the Magic used, um, if they had Aaron Gordon and Jonathan Isaac and even Al Farouk Aminu, that series could have gone very, very differently. Um, the Magic simply had no answer for, for Giannis with Gary Clark as the primary defender. Well, Miami's got Bam Adebayo. They've got Jay Crowder. They've got Andre Guadalla. They've got Jimmy Butler. They've got a lot of guys who are smart defenders that can take that pounding, and they have a very smart defensive scheme. I mean, Eric Spolstra is a great defensive coach and <clears throat> starting to stand like, sound like Stan here. Um, <laughs> they, they have a great defensive game plan that has made Giannis slow down. And once you make Giannis slow down, that gums up the entire Bucks ecosystem because everything revolves around Giannis. They've done a good job taking Giannis out of his game. And, and, and seeing that is surprising seeing that no one else has been able to step up and kind of take their, their reign and their role. That part's been Surprising, and I think that's a major concern for the Bucks that probably pre-existed the bubble. 
Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head to me, and that is Milwaukee's playmaking. Milwaukee's a team that will um, they they make their, their players are disciplined, so they'll they'll make the extra pass, all of the unselfish, like the fourth, fifth, sixth pass, whatever it takes to get that wide open, wide open look. Um, they'll they'll make those, but as far as like the actual playmaking, like creating the uh creating the scenarios the the two the three on fours or the four on threes the the five on fours the the advantages where you can take a neutralize one defender on the opposing team and then start to get the ball rolling uh like you said Giannis is very rudimentary in in that approach so far at 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 least at this point in his career where he can he can make some of their plays and he's their best playmaker but he's not uh he's not the greatest playmaker and that's what you're seeing with this series and that's what I went to um at the beginning of the season so at the very beginning of the season when I sat and I looked at the east um I I looked at the east and I said you know I have no confidence in any of the teams in the east because I just look at them and I also I I saw flaws with all of them I saw Philly being just obviously spacing nightmare and just fit nightmare. Then I saw I looked at Milwaukee and the Malcolm Brogdon loss to me. This is where this is where it hurt. I said, I said that podcast. I said in the regular season the Bucks will be able to get by with eighty five percent of Brogdon's production through George Hill, uh, Dante DiVincenzo, Eric Bledsoe, and overall just growth of of most of these players returning to the same system. Where it hurts them is the playoffs, where they need that other guy that can handle, create, and 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 just bring a little bit more to the offensive uh, offensive end. And that's what Malcolm Brogdon was for them last year in the playoffs. I watched Malcolm Brogdon at times be the second best player on Milwaukee. Um, you know, I I watched him. I watched him outperform Chris Middleton in that in that Raptors series at, at, at for stretches and be the calm, steady hand that they needed to create the plays and get the shots rolling and 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 keep Milwaukee in that series which they ultimately lost so I I, I felt like that Brogdon thing was just was, was really going to show its head and I and I still all year even though I felt that I didn't think Miami was going to be the team I thought Miami was tough and I thought Miami could you know just get off the strength of being Miami get one game maybe two and make this a it, and make it, this a little bit of a series it felt it feel it felt like to me Miami was one piece short or one yep. player short right. from being really on top on top of that mountain like Miami's yeah. super deep i mean they yeah. got guys i mean again no one saw Kendrick Nunn being what he was no one saw Duncan Robinson being what he was um they've got guys you know that they're they're so deep and they trust all of their players to play at a high level and, you know, something that I think we saw in last year's playoffs, you know, Jimmy Butler is that dude. Like, I mean, he may not put up the most impressive numbers in the regular season, but in games that matter, he shows up. And that's that's always been his MO in his career. And at this point, we just, ha- we you know, you have to view Jimmy Butler almost as a superstar. Just, you know, not necessarily because of the numbers or that he's, you know, one of, that he's like a top 10 player or anything like that. But in the big games, he shows up and and just has an effect on the rest of his team that wills them to victory. I mean, he he did it last year with the Philadelphia team that was far from perfect and far from sane. Um, You know, remember, I mean, Toronto was up, what, six, seven, eight points with like four or five minutes to play in that game. And Butler willed them back in that game to force Kawhi Leonard to hit that shot. I mean, I, I personally will never forget 
Jimmy Butler's game seven performance oh, yeah. in that playoff series last year. Like it was incredible. And, and yeah. I just keep saying like, he is that dude. He is yep. that player that just, that just, you know, it has this, has this effect on his team um, that really sets the tone. And, and if you come along with him, if you gain his trust, he's going to ride or die with you to, to the end. And, and I, I think that, I think what we're really seeing in this playoffs is just what kind of effect that Jimmy Butler has and really how he's just a perfect fit in Miami. It, it, it still feels like Miami's one piece short, mm-hmm. but in this situation, no road games, you know, you know, you know, all everyone kind of locked up. Like that's where Miami thrives. Yeah. And that one piece short they might be is Giannis, you know, now it that, might be. That's the that's the crazy underlying subplot of all this is that everyone was hearing the chatter about Miami trying to get themselves in the Giannis sweepstakes and Miami being the strong culture that they are. If anyone could lure Giannis away from Milwaukee, it's Miami, a team that a team that has talent but can still take Giannis in to be the guy or the co-guy, um, depending on how that how that would play out with Jimmy Butler. But um, essentially bringing him into that culture and saying, look, we can promise you winning because we've done it and we've done it with great players. Um, you know, you're just the next in the long line of great Miami Heats and that Pat Riley pitch. You know, there's, there's all sorts of rumors that when Giannis was in Miami that Milwaukee was doing everything they can to make sure that Giannis was again accidentally locked in a room with Pat Riley. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like it's just that's the that's power that's the man. one place you don't want him to be. Yeah, uh, if if Riley gets his hands on you, he is not letting go. Yeah, not at all. And so Unless that's the crazy part. <laughs> True, that's the crazy part about this is that Miami's a team that's giving. I mean, they're giving Giannis a front row seat to this ass kicking. And they're showing them, look, you know, we don't got the most talented team on paper, but you know what? Look at the way we play. Look at the way we get, we maximize each guy on our team. And you, we can do the same with, we can do the same with you. And, you know, this is the best thing to happen to Miami because now not only are you, are you quote unquote overachieving if you reach the conference finals this year, but you're also, you're also get, like I said, getting a, a front row display to your prized free agent or your prized uh, 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 fish that you're looking to catch this off season or next off season. And, and, and not only, and not only on. that you're, you're exposing all the flaws of the players around them. I mean, look, yeah. Milwaukee, like, like I was telling this to people after, after Friday's game here, if you're a small market like Milwaukee and that, that championship window opens once every 20 years. I mean, let's, yeah. let's be real. If you're the Lakers, if you're, you know, if you're, if the Knicks ever figure themselves out, you know, if you're one of those like marquee teams, that window opens regularly. People want to play for you. Um, you know, Miami has become one of the premier organizations in the league. That window is perpetually open for them. If your team like Milwaukee, this is your chance and you've got to be all in. And if you lose this playoff series and you're staring down one more year of Giannis at the chance that he can leave, you're pushing all the chips into the table. If Bud Nolzer's not the guy, you let him go. You know, yeah. you start really, I mean, I don't know if you need to make panic moves, but, you know, you got to you gotta really measure up this roster and say, is, is Chris Middleton really the guy? Is Eric Bledsoe really the guy? How do we get better? How do we bring in that last player that we need that might take us over the top or might convince Giannis to stay or might win us a championship that can get Giannis to stay? You got to be pushing every chip to the table. And if, 
And if it screws you up 10, you know, five, six, seven, eight years down the road, you don't have a choice because losing Giannis will do that anyway. So, you know, Milwaukee's in a very, very tricky and interesting spot. And it just comes down to wins and losses. And these playoffs are going to have a massive effect on the future of the NBA. Yeah, as much as they'll try to write it off as the bubble, anything can happen, blah, blah, blah. We don't, we don't know. You know, there, I mean, there's just the undeniable fact that, you know, that you, you lost this series and you lost earlier than you lost last year if they lose this series. It, it's, so, it's, it's, and it's honestly not just that you lost the series. I mean, you lose a series in seven games, whatever. Losing it in four, losing yeah. it in five, that, that's, that's an embarrassment. Yeah. That, that plain and simple. That's unacceptable. And and I mean, any other result that doesn't result in a championship is, is probably going to be unacceptable for Milwaukee anyway. But mm-hmm. losing this way, you know, getting beat what 41-14 in the fourth quarter of game four of game three. Yeah. Um, the way that they're getting just dismantled, that that cannot happen if they're if they're serious about keeping Giannis and, and convincing him that they can win a title in Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be very interesting to watch game game four. I'm going to be watching the body language. I'm going to be watching all of that extra close. Um, let's jump to the last series here, Toronto versus Boston. Toronto is down two to one thanks to a buzzer beater from OG Ananobi with the, the one of the coolest, but I don't think it's cooler than Rose or Dame just because of their faces were so memeable, but... Uh, but OG Ananobi had one of the coolest walk-off shots um, in a in a in a in a game I've ever seen. So they now avoid the three-zero hole that that Milwaukee finds themselves in. And you look at you look at the game. Tatum didn't play well. Uh, is Toronto fortunate to be down two-one? I mean, that's kind of a stupid question because essentially you could say yes, they were because they hit a shot at the buzzer. Which if they didn't hit that, they do lose. But what I'm essentially saying is that uh, is that it? Are we consider are we considering this an actual series? If if you're Toronto, or do you think that this is a uh, that that was a game that just went well for Toronto and and things broke things did not break well for Boston, and this is going to be a tough series? I mean, I, I think that this was more in line with the kind of game and the kind of series that we were expecting from these two teams. Um, mm-hmm. Toronto and Boston are both teams that I think, especially with how Milwaukee's looking so poor right now, they're teams that series should probably seriously think like, hey, we can get to the finals. And from there, who knows? And when you have two heavyweights um, and two teams that really believe that and legitimately can believe that, they're going to have big fights and big blows like this where one or two possessions really turn the corner uh, and really turn the tide. Um, I think Boston... Boston has probably more talent than Toronto. Um, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen mm-hmm. Brown coming into their own. Kemba Walker really stepping up on the playoff stage. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that that has, I think that that has um, kind of surprised Toronto a little bit, or it's certainly an advantage Boston has over Toronto that maybe we didn't value as much um, because Boston's sort of figured out Toronto's defense. Um, and, and that's, that's so huge. And Toronto has been so good all year at shifting and changing defenses and just being so dominant on that end. And yet this series, they just haven't been able to consistently get stops. And that's what the series is going to come down to in the end is whether Toronto is able to kind of figure themselves out again, whether they're able to, to, to be the team that people thought was like, you know, Hey, this team could get back to the finals again. I mean, again, this is a championship group, you know, yeah. virtually, you know, almost entirely the same roster from last year minus Kawhi Leonard, obviously. 
they are certainly still capable of winning the series. I'm not going to sit here and say that Toronto should feel super great that they're back in the series because, you know, they were so close to being down 3-0 and they lost to lead in that fourth quarter. They had to scramble to save that game. Mm-hmm. Um, Boston has control of the series. If you ask me who's winning the series just at this point, it's Boston and it feels like it's more than 2-1. So Toronto should feel fortunate on in that sense, but they should also feel confident that this thing can change very, very quickly. I mean, maybe this is maybe this is the moment that spurs them to be a little bit more efficient, be a little bit more focused and be a little bit more effective and really turn this into a series. So I, I, I see this as an even heavyweight fight um, at the end of the day. Um, it's going to come down to one or two possessions every game. It's going to come down to, you know, just just one one or two things breaking the right way. And it might be luck. You know, maybe Toronto doesn't have luck and they lo- end up losing 4-1, but it feels like it's a closer 4-1. Um, but I, I think, I think that, the, I think, I mean, obviously game four is going to turn the series. I mean, see three, one is so different than two, two. Right. Um, uh, and, but Toronto is certainly capable, you know, wouldn't surprise me if Toronto goes out and blows them out. Wouldn't surprise me if Boston blows them out. Wouldn't surprise me if it's a close game again. I mean, I think these two teams, you know, are really starting to dial in and make this a playoff series. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing about the playoffs and why I love it so much is because how quickly narratives change from game to game, how, focus changes how feel changes everything changes um because like you said if 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 toronto is able to escape this next game however they escape it if it doesn't matter if it's another buzzer beater or if they win by 20 um you know obviously the, those are different outcomes and those do have a different effect on the series but in general if if it now shifts to 2-2 then all of a sudden uh, again you're on a neutral floor so it's it's just theoretically it's just the better team is going to win and now you're looking at boston being like oh wow we just lost two straight toronto last year won four straight against milwaukee in the finals this things could be clicking for them things can change so it it can very quickly change even though i feel i feel very confident boston winning this series just because of the shot creation of jason tatum and kemba in particular but also jalen brown um I, I, I just think that that's going to give Toronto a lot of problems. I think that I think that also Boston's ability to defend transition very well um, is going to hurt Toronto, which is a team that relies on transition pretty heavily yep. to score. There, so, Pascal Pascal Siakam needs to show up. Yeah, and and like exactly. Go I ahead. mean, it's Toronto's half court offense just has not been good enough, and that's that's what the playoffs are all about. I mean, yeah. I, I say this all the time: the playoffs are about. Can you beat a defense that knows exactly what's coming? Yeah. And that's why the best players in the league always win in the playoffs because those are the guys that can beat a defense that knows exactly what's coming. Yeah, very well said. Very well said. And it's going to be interesting to see what Toronto what Toronto does in, in game four because it feels like it feels like a team that just um they just gotta play, they just gotta play and the results are going to be the results. Like, I don't look at Toronto and be like, okay, maybe if they make some tweaks here, make some tweaks there. Um, it, it just it looks like a series where it's you're going to have two great coaches and you're going to have two very well-disciplined teams, and it's just going to come down to who's hitting shots at night and who's, uh, who's executing right. And and it and the half court, like you said, is a big is a big big thing in the playoffs, and that's why I have the favor in Boston. But you're absolutely right. Toronto um, does have a chance to make this a six or seven game series, absolutely. Um, but I, I I just from watching these games, it just feels like Boston is going to find ways to to win these games, whether they're close or whether they're blowouts. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I definitely feel like Boston has the upper hand. They, they have more weapons that can beat you in the half court on, mm. you know, and I, I don't think anyone expected Jason Tatum to be this good, this fast. And people forget how good Kemba is. He kind of like yeah. skated by this entire season. I know he had the knee issue, but you know, Kemba's been dropping guys with crossovers and hitting big buckets since he was in college. It's he, this is yeah. this is part of who he is. Um, cardiac Kemba is a real de- real thing, and that dude that dude rises the moment. And frankly, as a guy who's loved watching Kemba Walker, um, I'm glad he's finally getting a playoff stage to do this. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. That that's another great point that I that I want to highlight is it is very fun to just watch Kemba be on a winning team and to have success. You know, because he 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 always was a very likable guy to me and he was always a very um just a, a a very talented player but obviously the situation in Charlotte wasn't ideal for him basketball wise and now that he's in a he's in a environment with a with a team that that has a lot of talent around it it's good to just see him be able to do what we all thought he was capable of doing had he gotten the the, the opportunity and so that's been that's been very fun to see that th- that series has been very fun. I'm looking forward to it. Um, but it, I mean, right now, you know, it, if I had to guess my my the way I lean is Boston Heat Eastern Conference Finals. And from there, I don't know what I I don't know where I go. But um, right now I'm starting. That's where I'm starting to lean. Is that where you're at as we approach the? Yeah, I think I think that's where I'm at. Um, you know, I I, I keep. I keep wanting to underestimate the Celtics bigs, but you know, Daniel Dice is a, is a grinder. Um, you know, I, I think, I don't, I don't think he stops Bam out of bio, mind you, but you know, they, they do, su- they do such a good job playing together so well. And again, Miami does too. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away yeah. from Miami. I think, I think a heat Celtics series will be very, very good. I think it'll be very, very entertaining uh, uh, just to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'll, I'll be back later in the week to do some Western Conference stuff and, and talk about the Western side of the playoffs. But Philip, I want to thank you with your with your sore voice for joining the podcast <laughs> and, and, and giving me great content. Uh, it, it's, it's very fun to have these conversations with you. I'm glad I'm glad I even get to, you know, just check in on you, see how you're doing. Um, hope you're enjoying 2K21. I'm holding out for the new system. I know you're downloading it uh that's what you told me off air so good luck let me know how it goes uh, i i will be sure to let you know how it goes we'll see we'll see how many walls i how many uh, holes i punch in the walls uh, (laughs) when i when i get on when i finally get get the nerve to play online (laughs) i look forward to it man take it easy uh philip rossman ray uh the lockdown magic and uh orlando magic daily you can check him in both of those places he does fantastic content i'm a big fan of his work um, both what he brings to this podcast, which is important, but also what he does on his own. Um, just, just great, just great work. So go follow him on the Twitter, on the, on the, wherever you, wherever you consume your, your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever. And, um, and, and I'll leave all those to, links and stuff in the description for those that are listening for the first time. Um, thank you, Philip, for joining the podcast, man. I greatly appreciate you. And I look forward to talking with you soon.